But when you do niche and you, you dive in deeper into one certain area, you become more knowledgeable and the other parts of the flywheel are easier because you can give more value. You can add more content. You can be more specific on their pains. And so, you know, going through that sales rhythm and actually delivering the product where, whether you're partnering with other people and you know, you're finding the things in that, that niche that is more valuable to those clients. What's up, everyone? This is the Broker Fusion Podcast. I am Sarah Montana. I am an investor, a real estate broker, and a coach and mentor to agents. And I'm Ryan Kay, a tech entrepreneur who specializes in marketing and hiring and scaling organizations. And together, we're going to explore the evolution of the real estate market and business models specifically as we deal with what is the defining moment and chaotic event of COVID and the repercussions as that ripples throughout our entire economy, labor markets, etc. of how do you navigate this flow and drive your own success with it. Perfect, right now we are in an economic disruption. There is disruption in the real estate world, in the employment industry. The way that people buy things is different. The way people are traveling, the way that they are living in general has been changed and disrupted. So we're gonna have a couple of different goals here. We'll be looking from both the Asian perspective and the broker perspective. And we will hopefully give you guys some different ideas, some frameworks, how-to guides, and we'll dig into some real stories and examples and hopefully give you guys some great advice on how to deal in this evolving market. And not just deal, not just survive, but actually thrive. Actually come out better than you were going into COVID with a business model and a business approach that will drive success both now and into there. So let's jump right in. Let's do it. All right, in today's episode, we unpacked lots of different things. We talked about the flywheel in the real estate space, where people are at in the journey, how long they've been in business, and we go through the three parts of that process of the demand funnel, the sales rhythm, the delivery system, and what it is that you're struggling with in your business and what things you need to do as a new agent or someone that is further along the journey. Uh, we dive into choosing a niche and being able to create more value in that space by picking a target market, figuring out what their pains are, and then creating value by solving those problems. And we hope you enjoy. Alrighty, today Sarah and I are hanging out and we're talking about the success roadmap or the success engine that's required to drive on that journey as an agent and, and really trying to unpack, not that all agents are the same and all markets are the same and all stages are the same, but there is a fundamental first principle equation that equals success as a real estate agent regardless of the level you get to. Now, there are different things that you do to make that drive, but they're just, it, it helps, I believe, and I found in most things, it helps to be able to boil it down to kind of its core theme so that it guides what we're talking about. So today, Sarah and I are here. We're going to unpack kind of the agent success journey. And I think probably where you start off is like defining what success is. If you're a real estate agent, and I would say the same thing if you're anything, fill in the blank. If you're a soccer player, like whatever it is, if you're trying to go on a journey from where you are today to where you want to get in three to five years, um, you have to define like, how will I know it's successful and the steps along the way? 
like right off the bat as I kind of um, interview and engage with Sarah, I know there's certain measurements that are the indicator of success in the real estate world of, of how many deals you've done, what your volume is during the year, because it computes to how much I make. And, and those are really kind of your core three things that you're looking at is at the end of the day, how much did I make this year? profit and how many deals did I do to make it? And therefore that translates into the total revenue amount of that deal. And, and those are kind of our core three. Is there anything else as far as like, that is how you compare yourself to other agents? For sure. I think that obviously financial success is where people like start with, but also we're going to go into what it takes and what does that mean? Because I think that your goals are going to change, obviously, as you start to grow. I think the biggest thing, especially when you're starting out, is just what's creating that momentum. So if you're you're taking what maybe you want to know what your goals are for the next five years, but it's like, let's create a roadmap of what's my what's the definition of success in the first three months right. of what do we need to do to get things going and then we can create milestones from there. Right. And and as you listen in on some of these podcasts, you're going to see that that end point, the result, setting that goal, while it is important because you're looking out over the horizon and saying, where, where do I want to go to? Um, it's more important as you then back away from that all the way to the point of action where you're going, okay, if that's an output goal the how much money did I make, et cetera. So there's a, a few kind of fundamentals as we unpack this, this idea right off the bat of, yeah, you need to figure out where you're going. Success equals a uh, hundred grand a year in profit, right? And then you have to back away from that or back into what do I have to do today to make that happen? What, what are, are the action yeah, items? Because standing around like talking about how many deals I did or want to do will never actually get you those deals, right? right? So that that's kind of like, the number one part, I think the number two part as we go through this is we tend to approach um, business because that's what this is. You're building a business um, with certain preconceived notions such as we need to have a budget. We need to be very cautious about what we spend and we've got to be very careful about the spending side of the equation. We were all brought up eating a, a heavy like diet of Dave's Ramsey and, and other people like that that are like pinch penny. Penny saved is a penny earned. Is a penny earned. Blah 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 blah. And so we tend to be as humans um, very focused on the expense side of the equation, mostly because the expense side of the equation is something we have the most control over. And it's the scary part. Theoretically, yeah, it is like that scary part. But when you think about running a business, it is revenue brought in minus money spent equals profit. At the end of the day, your core goal is profit, right? But you have to be very cautious at the balance between revenue and expense. Because the one thing I can tell you is, well, it might be easiest for you to control your expense because it's just about you, don't spend money. It is the most powerful to control your revenue because solving expense problems is easier later, but no budgeting will ever solve a lack of revenue problem. It's the same thing in real estate investing from a cash flow standpoint of like, you can only reduce your expenses so, so much, much, but if you increase the revenue, regardless of what your expenses right. are, the, the cash flow is where you're going to look and see if, whether or not that's a good investment. Yeah. And, and so as an agent from the, what are the pains, right? Success equals I'm profitable. Success equals I'm consistently profitable. Success equals I feel like I have a flywheel spinning. This engine just keeps going that if I was to put less effort in, it would at least maintain itself so that I can then go put my effort into growing and expanding it. 
because I think so often in real estate, you view it as a transactional thing. And that is especially, it's kind of the norm of how many transactions am I going to do? But that isn't a flywheel. That is your trading time for dollars. But if you're creating something that is, again, putting pressure at the top of the funnel and creating that momentum so that it can continue. And I think that is also the pain, like what you just said, it's very transactional. The reason why a lot of real estate agents fall into the transactional trap is because real estate is a transaction, is because they came from the sales background. The kind of the, the core job in real estate has always been sales dominant. And maybe you don't have a sales background, but trust me, the people giving you advice, your broker, those people, the people you see out there are sales first. And, and we're gonna unpack that in some episodes and, and probably a little bit today up. Sales first versus demand first, right? Generating demand and being a little more of a balance with marketing versus just sales, but it does, it brings us back into that transaction of, I need to make 10 calls to get to one lead, to do one presentation, to close 50% of them to get my number. And that is an important fly or funnel to manage. If that's all you focus on, you're going to be on constant, and now I have to go get the next transaction, which I'm back to prospecting, and, and that will become, you can become successful at it if your measurement is uh, obtaining a certain level of wealth or, or success of revenue, but you will not be able to scale that if that is your entire focus, and that's you, not scalable. if you take your foot off the gas, it, it goes away. Stops. It doesn't give you that leverage or the time freedom to be able to create the life that you want because if you release any amount of the pressure, it stops right. spinning. Yeah, and so that is kind of the desire of an agent is that success, but I really think inherently, if they have, whether they've unpacked it out loud or not, their real desire is to reach the point where they feel confident running the business. They feel confident that, that they'll make enough money. They feel confident that they know where the money comes from. They feel confident that they know how to drive it to get more money or whatever the case may be. But again, this mistake, the mistake that a lot of times we make is that while getting started requires that transactional mindset, growing and evolving requires coming out of the transaction to look at the bigger picture of the actual engine you're building that are repeatable processes, that are assets you're building, that are influence and, and those types of themes that happen. So what we're going to unpack is, is really kind of the core framework or the core engine behind a real estate um, agent's business. And, and while there's different uh, paths in the journey, different uh, spots you might be in, whether you're a brand new agent, whether you've been in business for a year, you've been doing this, we, we have a couple different ways of kind of measuring where you're at on that journey. The easy one is how long since I got my license. Uh, like whether you just got it or a year ago or 10 years ago or 50 years ago. And the problem with that is it's not an actual indicator of where you're at along the success journey. Of your experience and your knowledge right. along that path. And so instead, try to get this like a step-by-step -step on the journey. You go with success. How successful are you? And so if you stop for a minute and... And like, if you're listening to this, stop for a second and, and pick your identifier of how successful am I? So we have uh, six of them on here. Uh, are you brand new? You've done no transaction. Or like step two is my favorite one, like F and F. You've only sold to friends and family, meaning people that, that would feel guilty if they didn't use you as an agent. While that is money, you made revenue, that's not repeatable. 
Like you only have so many friends and family to like, I've actually done more than five actual stranger deals is what I call them. You could say this is a friend of a friend. I'm good with that counting as a stranger deal, but it can't be somebody who has inherent guilt around doing the transaction with you. Yeah, those first five transactions, you are essentially, you're still learning and hopefully you have a good mentor or you have support at your brokerage that you're able to answer, you know, ask those questions and get them answered. But then once you reach that five to 25, you know, you're getting a little bit more in flow, you're, you're understanding those systems and you're starting to get that flywheel spinning. Um, and then obviously if you've done over 25 or you're doing more than 25 a year, you have quite a bit of um, experience and things under your belt. However, I think a lot of times when agents get to that point, you're at that level of success that you feel like I've made it. And so a lot of agents that are in that level are very stuck in their, in their box of what it is that they're doing. And so being able to uh, change your paradigm on where you're at of, bringing people onto your team, expanding, uh, doing different things from marketing. Um, you know, a lot of times we get stuck in the, this is how everyone else is doing it, or this is how I've always done it. And in an evolving market, you have to be open to new, new frameworks right. and new ideas. Yeah. And, I, and so I think that's the easy one, how successful you are. So if you're listening, like, like shout, write it down right now, shout it out. I am blah, right? I am like five to 25 transactions a year. That's where I sit. Then you have the actual, like, um, I guess your ratings of the different egos inside of the real estate business, right? Whether you're like, hey, I was just, we call these superpowers sometimes where it's like, which of these, which of the, if it's a game, it's the different weapons that you picked up that you're like, which of these weapons do I have? Did I, do I naturally have? Have I built up or do I aspire to have? And, and the easy one right off the bat that we can kind of like throw out is there are people who become successful because they were born with the right name, in the right family, in the right town. And, and clearly like nothing against that flow, but it isn't something that most of the time I identify with or you identify with because you can't replicate You can't it. do it with the hard work. I mean, I guess you could by marrying into that family. <laughs> that would be a very right? long con. I'm so, like, all right, I got this. So we could go with like superpower number one would be born or married into a, a known family with known real estate holdings that's known around whatever, which is not like, which is great, but that's not the other of these four superpowers are things that anybody can grow and develop. They may not, it may be harder for some than others. And you could do multiples of these, whether you're a networker, which Sarah is by far like a dominant networker. She can land in any place, not even knowing the language and most likely build up a network of people that she knows, that she knows people they know, that she's starting to put together their problems into solutions and into, cause that's really at the core a networker isn't just somebody who knows lots of people. That is a level one networker. I know a lot of people, but network power has to do with your reputation of solving problems inside the network. For sure. I think that's one thing that I've really changed recently. It's like, it's one thing to naturally be able to talk to people and just be outgoing. I think that that some people think like, oh, that's my superpower, but truly networking and creating value with those connections, I think is what can take your business to the next level. Because again, you're not claiming value of just like, hey, I'm, I'm the popular one, like come and talk to me. You're, how can I help other people and push people together to create synergy and, 
and help each other yeah, out. Yeah, and, and that is like if you think of the two powers of networking, right? The two sides that are required. A lot of times we assume great networkers are the the extrovert, outgoing, oh my gosh, they get in any room, and there's a center of attention, they know everybody's name and all that kind of stuff, which is one half of the power, right? The other half of the power is this ability to solve problems within a network. The interconnected problems inside the network of buyers and sellers or transactions or a pain here can be solved by this person's pain. I mean, at its core, it's like a bartering system within it is a secondary power. And to be honest, usually the one that's the most underrated and overlooked. And so if you're thinking about right now and you're like, I'm not a networker because I'm not that person. I'm not the person who engages with strangers and drills in and that kind of stuff. A lot of times the hack for that is getting into the problem set where you're probably more comfortable. And if you are the networker who's like, oh my gosh, everybody knows me because I'm the most popular kid in school. And like I become the most popular kid in school because I'm just that outgoing. Your inability, if you don't figure out how to then solve problems in three dimensions inside of the network, it will just become a reputation of being known, but it won't translate into money. What I think is interesting too, when you said pick up a weapon, is you have to kind of just put on that character diamond, like you said, because I may be a natural networker, but when I came into a market that I literally knew no one, like, yes, obviously I can be outgoing and I can go to a restaurant and like chat with people, but that wasn't my superpower. And so I had to transition into becoming a marketer because I needed people to I needed to get out there and let people know my name. And so sometimes I think you're choosing your weapon and what is your superpower at that time. Yeah. And, and it really so that like there's the networker, right? And, and the enhanced version of the networker is like the partner, somebody who builds partnerships with vendors and stringing where, where a networker in our definition is connecting buyers and sellers or buyers and buyers, like connecting the, the customers in the transaction. A partner or a connector is somebody who gets different vendors up and down the transaction and connects them together. When you're getting referrals for, from mortgage agents and you're giving referrals back, you're bundling up business models together, that type of thing. It's just a different type of network power, but it's around kind of the journey of the transaction of hooking together different vendors and different players inside of that transaction or inside of an ecosystem when, when you get, again, because it will constantly be a flip of inside the transaction, zoomed in, there's partners and whatever, zoomed out inside the ecosystem, there's partners that you can have that maybe won't turn into a single transaction, but drive brand recognition, name recognition. And value. Place. I think yeah. that's what I love about that, that role is you're driving value in every part of the transaction. You think of it at the top of like, oh, I'm connecting these two people together, so I'm creating this value. But what can you do further along right. down the transaction and connect to continue to add that value? Right. The, the third one, I would say, is the marketer. And, and again, these aren't in any given order. Actually, it's funny. I probably wrote them in the order of hardest to obtain at times. Like a marketer is somebody who isn't like, we'll, we'll put these two together. You have a prospector and a marketer. Uh, a prospector is more sales focused. They're, they're out there generating interest by disrupting people one pavement. at a time. Yeah, hitting the pavement one at a time. A prospector is a one-to-one -one type scenario where you are engaging one person 
with one conversation, whether it's email or phone or face-to-face or door knocking or at a trade show, anytime you're one-to-one, you are in the prospector ego. And, and these superpowers really probably we end up evolving into ego and tools or techniques, the weapons, right? The, and weapon might be the wrong word because it's a little aggressive. Superpower. But yeah, you, you bring out, you put on the ego of the prospector and that means you need to go grab his tools. And the techniques and frameworks and approaches that work for the prospector, who once again is a one-to-one situation versus the marketer, who is one-to-many. That same concept of being able to go out and find a target audience and engage them, but you're having to do it in mass. And, and for us, that would be an influencer marketer. But, but really, all of these superpowers um, kind of rely on a couple core concepts that that we believe are inherent to being successful as an agent. And that is like that you're creating value, that you're leading with value, that you're, you're really just solving, identifying pains, helping them solve them and coming up with tools or services or whatever that facilitate that solution to make it easier. And, and that comes from my mentors in the software space and my mentors in the influence space and, and is really a little bit different when you break these down from the normal default of how you'll see agents go into the market, where they're very leaned in, whether it's networking or partnership or prospecting or marketing, they're very leaned in on their toes about, I have something to sell you. I'm the best at it. You need to listen to me and buy it from me versus a much more on your heels approach to all four of these things of saying, I'm here to understand the target, the, the people in the ecosystem, to understand their pains, their fears, and frustrations, to understand their wants and aspirations, their goals, and to start connecting their pain with a solution and some type of tool or service or whatever that will scale that solution or facilitate or make it easier, faster, cheaper, whatever the case may be. But that part of leading with the problem and identifying a solution, even when you aren't the solution or what makes you money isn't the solution, disconnecting that for each of these egos, when you're playing it from a, I don't know how to do it, and you're progressing along that line of, I'm a networker like white belt, right? Mm-hmm. Just starting out where it's like, here's the tactic just to get this going versus when you're playing as a black belt in this world, where you're like, no, 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 I, I'm playing a different game than everybody else is playing. I'm no longer on my toes trying to make money. I'm now on my heels creating as much value as possible, knowing it will come back. Yeah, so that I think is the differentiator of people that are going to be, you know, super new in this transaction. It's hard to not want you're you're holding everything with a closed fist because you feel like there's not enough to go around. And so having that like again long con of like keeping the the advanced perspective of creating that value value along the way and knowing that it's going to come back to you. But hopefully as we kind of go things along, we're obviously going to get them some easy win, not easy, right. but uh, yeah, quick some, wins some as quick well. Some quick wins, right? So we have the kind of like, how successful are you dynamic of figuring out where you're at. And then you have the kind of like, rate your superpower status on each of those areas. As far as like, hey, if you're lucky and you have 10 stars on I was born into or I married into, uh, you know, the right family, cool. Count that as 10 stars. Right. But on each of these other areas, long term, your goal will be to level up your ego and your, your ability to be the networker, the partner, the prospector, the marketer. At any given time, you might lean on one more than the other. 
long term, you want to evolve those into, hey, I can pull those out. I'm a 10 out of a 10 when I roll into networking or prospecting or marketing. You're just using the right mix for the right problem that you're working on short and long term one year at a time. The, the, these are the like how to rate where you're at, the kind of powers that are behind it. But if we really kind of zoom out and say, what is kind of the core thing you're building to build a successful business as a real estate agent, it really comes down to these three core parts of the flywheel. You need to be able to generate demand. Not then prospecting is a type of demand, but generate consistent and scalable demand where you know I can go pull a lever, whether that's an activity, whether it's money, whether it's phone calls, whatever, and new leads come out of it. Then you have to create a rhythm for sales like that. And then I do X with the lead, which consistently turns it into a, a buyer or a seller that signs a contract that, that says, I am now your representative. And then you have the actual delivery system of, okay, I've got a house. How do I get that thing listed and marketed and sold? Or, okay, I've got somebody who wants to buy. How do I go find them in a house and get the entire deal done? And those three things are just this spinning wheel. And, and depending on where you're at in your, your agency journey, you're as an agent, I'm now new versus getting bigger or whatever. These three core things will always be there fundamentally. It's just where they're at from how fast it's spinning or how big it is and what the current constraint is, what I should be focused on. Is what's really slowing bad. it down? What's the bottleneck? What's slowing it down? Yeah, for sure. And so as we kind of look through these folks, like, so again, demand, can I generate consistent people who want to talk to me about real estate to sales rhythm? Can I take those people and turn them into a buyer or a seller that is under contract with me. Do I know what to do once mm -hmm. I get them and do I have the systems in place to be able to do it effectively? Right, and then delivery, like can I actually deliver and make sure it works? Now, we're gonna take each one of these and kind of break it down into its chunks here to just explain like what are the steps, what needs to happen so that everybody can conceptualize it. If you've been doing this a long time, you'll say, okay, this is a review, just trust me, listen in because you might find something to say, oh, I hadn't thought about it before. So we're going to start with the four steps. If you start with demand, there's four steps inside of demand, especially when it comes to value or influence-based demand generation, whether it's one-to-one -one sales prospecting, whether it's one-to-many marketing, whether it's, it's networking, connecting all the interconnected pieces, or whether it's partnership around it, it still always will come down to the who. Who is our target? Whether that's a vendor, whether it's a potential prospect, whether it's whatever the case may be, who's the, the target? What is it that their problem is that they're trying to solve for? How do you solve it? And then distributing that kind of content that, that comes value. out of it, distributing that value into their hands in some way. And those are from a demand standpoint, those are the four parts of it. So maybe Sarah jump in here like, on this side as a new agent, where do you think is kind of like the biggest pain, the biggest hurdle, the biggest question mark? I think that so often, again, you go back to that, like I just need to, to make money. And so they think like I can help everyone. 
Like I am the agent, like I'm a new agent, like, whoa, well, who do you work with? Like I'll sell to anyone. And obviously you think that that might be the best approach. However, you can't focus in on those pains specifically because someone that is, you know, in their fifties, that's ready to retire is in a completely different um, pain set of they, you know, maybe want to move into a smaller home that has less maintenance and things like that versus someone that's a new family and they have an older home and they're ready to upgrade. Um, and so being able to choose your niche and choose your target of who it is that you want to help. Do you like helping them and can you solve for them and can they pay you for those services? I think is probably the first thing is figure out who it is that you want to work with specifically. Right. And, and I would say that is a core pain, regardless of your size. It's just a different type of pain and it presents itself in different ways. Like at the end of the day, as a business owner that's either starting a business or growing a business or scaling a business, this same one pain is going to come back to haunt you time and time again. And it is the being able to balance reacting to proactive. Being able to balance between being opportunistic, hey, I take all comers because it's it's in my best interest to close any deal I can close to make money. And, and there's nothing wrong with that of reacting, reacting to all the inputs that come in, but also having a proactive strategy that's like, but over here, I'm building a very specific thing that if it was to start working, I would be start to get more confident with saying no to bad leads because this over here is more scalable, is more consistent, is better running than those two things. As, as a brand new agent, you're like, hey, I'm gonna work with my friends and family first. When I put it out there and say I'm a real estate agent, my default answer is going to be, I can help anybody with anything, anytime for those referrals that are coming in at first, and that's okay. But on the downside of that, is that you're not gonna be the expert in any of it. Yeah, I think it's interesting. We're talking about the demand part of the equation but when you do niche and you, you dive in deeper into one certain area, you become more knowledgeable and the other parts of the flywheel are easier because you can give more value. You can add more content. You can be more specific on their pains. And so, you know, going through that sales rhythm and actually delivering the product where whether you're partnering with other people and, you know, you're finding the things in that that niche that is more valuable to those clients. Right. And, and that's why I'm saying, like, as you get bigger, you still come back to the same problem set. So you you were a new agent, you needed some deals and you took any deal and it got you some money and that was good. But when you started to feel that success, you need to go out and be deliberate about the weight. What I need to build is one niche, one flywheel working perfectly inside of a certain thing, not because it's the only customer you're ever going to sell to. You're just dating this niche because we're not monogamous when we come to target personas in our business, right? We're going to be polygamous here. And so, <laughs> oh, this is so going to be a quote yeah. for sure. And, and so like you pick the niche that you can build success in to build it till it spins freely for the most part on its own. And at that point you could pick the next niche when you're successful and you're doing 25 deals a year, if, or 50 deals a year, if the variation of what those deals are, is really wide. I'm doing all kinds of deals, all sizes, all property types, all situations, all like I do commercial. I also do residential. I do luxury. I do cheap. I do apartment complex. I work with real estate investors. I work with 
new buyers. I work with vacation second homes. Like if that's what your business looks like, I can tell you, you will struggle to scale because there's too much variation in those parts that as a, as a more established business that wants to grow and scale profitably, same thing, reaction to the flywheel of maybe a little messy flywheel we built, but also going and setting up a specific flywheel to say, okay, but I'm going to build a niche flywheel that spins just in the luxury market here. And I'm going to get that running because it will be more profitable, but it will take a lot more effort to get going. Right. But the other thing that's awesome about that, and when you look at frameworks is once you do that and you nail that system and you figure out what it is that you need to start the momentum of getting that flywheel spinning, then once you're doing that, it becomes easier to go and expand and help people in a different, in a different market, in a different niche. Uh, so it's learning that framework, especially as a new agent, uh, or again, even like as a broker, if you're looking to uh, expand your business in another way, like it's just learning that framework of what it is that you're providing to those customers. Yeah. And, and this is again, why it is while we're talking about, Hey, new agents need to do X. And if you've been doing it a while, you need to do Y. And like, if you're killing it, it's your game, but you want to know what comes next or how to break beyond that kind of plateau of success, it generally does break down into niching and, and to something that seems like it's extremely counterintuitive. And But this is a first principle, and you'll hear me say first principle over and over and over again if you listen to very many of these podcasts. Uh, these are a core principle of business. Um, this one of the small project and success over time versus big giant project that we believe the success comes from a huge initiative from a huge market space from lots from having all the potential people able to talk to me we assume that by being broad by being non-specific that you're opening up all the opportunities that could come into your life right and therefore it's really hard to say no no just pick one niche and nail it and then the next niche and then the next niche But the funny thing is that's the same thing that I do in the software world. We run agile. It is a way of building products. It competes against waterfall. Waterfall is when you take one platform and you decide you're going to build the best thing ever with every feature that will ever be needed ever, 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 and will work for everybody and every customer. And that's what the healthcare marketplace meltdown was of Obamacare was the fact that a waterfall software was built. They spent years, two years building the software without actually ever testing it. And and by testing, not meaning, oh, we clicked through and it worked, but real world feedback of users. In my world, when we build from an agile standpoint, we're picking what's the minimum viable thing or minimum effective dose of something for the smallest customer base that's in a niche. So we can get it live and see it working, get it spinning on its own and then go do the next thing. And so it's actually a first principle of it's always hard to explain. And when people hear the explanation, they're like, it totally makes sense. Pick one niche, get the flywheel spinning, make it work. And within five minutes, they will be tested of their resolve about, oh, that makes sense. But what about this one deal that just came to me? And instantly it blows back up into. And so that is why I'm not saying you have to be full on only niche. Don't take any other deals but that you have to create 
some level of separation in your mind between this is me being opportunistic because I have to be it mm -hmm. and I should be opportunistic, but I'm always watching to make sure that the gain isn't outweighed by distraction or the pain it's going to cause versus being proactive over here on the side of saying, but while I'm doing that, I'm setting up these future engines that are more niche, that will run on their own, that will be more scalable. I really like that concept too, like when you are a new agent, like you feel like you have to have everything in place. Like you have to have all the social media and you have to have all the perfect logos and you have to do all of these things, but it's taking that next actionable step. And so a lot of times newer agents, you're not seeing a sale for three, six months down the road because they're spending all this time trying to make everything perfect when they just need to, to take the next step, figure out what that is and take a small action in the right direction. And no, you might not have everything perfect, but you're creating that inertia. You're starting the momentum of the flywheel. And, and that probably is part of the, you know, when you look at say, we actually started up with saying like, what group are you fitting in from a success standpoint? Where are you at on that pathway or that journey of a lot of times where we go wrong is in comparing ourselves to either people at a different stage than us, right? You're, you're a brand new agent, but you're comparing yourself of, do I have everything in place? Again, somebody who does 50 deals a year and trying to create all the things that appear that they appear to have that may not actually lead to short-term or even mid-term success. Well, they have a huge following. They have X, Y, and Z. They have all these videos. They have this beautiful website. Oh my gosh, they have the coolest signs and the best logos and all those kind of things that they built up over years, right? right? You're comparing your day one to someone else's mm -hmm. day 5,000. Yeah, and that, that's number one problem. Number two problem is believing that the opinion of your business by other people competing with you is what matters versus just the customer. We're actually, Because that leads us into checking down a whole bunch of things we have to have because we're embarrassed that somebody would see our business and say, well, it's incomplete. It's not good enough yet. Like you don't have these things. Oh my gosh. Like who are you? You're when I was starting out, we were competing. We were building the software that was super hokey. It looked nothing like any of the other software in the space because I'd never even built software before. And there was a huge competitor in the space. that was a public company traded on the NASDAQ versus us just this little startup that was hacking along and we'd be made fun of all the time of like it's just two guys in a garage like why would you buy from them it's just two guys in a garage two guys you in know? a garage never did anything cool. yeah like and and so but you think about that from the i'm disrupting i'm entering a marketplace and how do i measure like what i sh what is success how do i decide what to do next how do i make that next great step one of the biggest problems is a lot of times it's going to be uncomfortably incomplete. Like it's going to be like in my world, we ship it while we're still embarrassed. We go live while it's not perfect. We need to get it live so that we create value. We need to deliver that value so it starts to build momentum. And when you put off entering a marketplace, when you put off prospecting or you put off sending an email or engaging a customer because you feel like, well, we're not ready yet. It's not good enough yet. We don't have a website yet. We don't have Facebook yet. All of those things are things that will come at some point, but have almost nothing to do with, can I create value for one customer? And, and that is 
from the question mark of a brand new agent? That's the only question that has to be answered. Can I find a customer that I can create value for? And if you do that, do I have a system that then captures my portion of that value? That's really all when you, when you boil it down to the minimum effective dose, the minimum viable business as a brand new agent comes down to that one thing. Can I find a stranger, somebody I don't know that doesn't have a reason, right? Can I figure out how to solve a problem for them that creates value in some way? And can I have a system to capture a portion of that as my compensation? That's all that has to happen in websites and Facebook and following and uh, cool stuff doesn't matter. You can create value without a single sign. I think that's interesting. You know, I own a brokerage in Montana and there's a lot of things when it comes to a compliance and, you know, the, the fiduciary responsibilities that you have for your clients. You have to be super careful of what you're saying and things like that. And I remember training my new agents to just say, like, that's a great question. I'll find out for you. And so it, it's one of those things where most customers are not going to be like, oh, my gosh, what a freaking idiot. Like, I hate her, you know, or I'm going to go find someone else. It's like you're doing your job. You may not know every answer. You may not have everything done perfectly or have all of the steps in place. But as long as you're willing to go and find out and be willing to do the work to to deliver on what it is that you're promising, you're you're better off and as a new agent make sure you're not saying anything that yeah, you don't know what and you're that talking probably about probably comes down to the the ego of a new agent where there's a difference between being the expert which is probably what you aspire to at some point to be the expert the the knowledge leader that you come to me to ask a question i have all the answers and while that is a, a positive thing to aspire to the problem with believing that that's the ego you're trying to create is it puts a huge learning curve in front of success. Well, I can't talk to people because I don't know anything. Therefore, I'm not the expert. So first, I've got to go become an expert before I can talk to people. And if you're not talking to people, you're not going to make money. If you instead change that ego to start off with, um, I am the, the guide to the knowledge. I'm not the expert of the knowledge. I'm not the holder of the knowledge. My number one job is simply to be the person who can gather the questions that a prospective customer has and find the answers for them. And when you mentally set that as this is my job as a new agent, is I'm the finder of the answers, I am not the holder of all the knowledge, then it means you can get out there really quick by saying, well, my number one job is to know how to ask questions to figure out the problem. And my number two job is to know who I'm going to ask those questions to, i.e. Google, my broker, some other agent in the office, the mortgage person that I know, the people that are around me, I'm just gonna go ask them the question and bring the answer back. And setting the stage as a new agent of this is my job. I'm just the finder of information. I'm the finder of questions. I'm the finder of answers. And I'm just connecting them together reduces the burden of knowledge. And it becomes safer from a fiduciary standpoint as well of saying, hey, that's a great question. I'm going to go find the answer to it. I have some thoughts about how this might work, but I want to make sure that I'm representing you by having the right knowledge and, and understand that like, this is how human life is now. Like the idea that you're ever going to know everything is BS. You're better off, even as you progress as an agent, I can tell you that like, while having all that knowledge is super valuable, it becomes a crutch. And when you cross the line, so you're not I'm, willing to ask or not. I am the person who doesn't know it all, but can find the answer over to, 
I am an elitist. Mm -hmm. I'm the expert. The problem is it creates massive amounts of blind spots in your life where you're not going back out and searching for the answer for it again, where you might find a new answer this time or that things have changed. It, it, the, the number one like way to lose your genius status is believing you know all the answers already. Really genius people know they don't know the answers or more importantly that the answers might have actually changed since they learned them. I think that's the thing is the the real estate market, all of it is all, it's an evolution for sure, especially in the last couple of years, everything's changing. And so if you have been in this business for a while, you may need to take a look and say, hey, like I've been saying forever that I'm not gonna do X and realize that you need to, to make a shift in order to continue to keep that flywheel spinning. Right, you go back to, and, and so we have this flywheel, demand versus sales versus delivery. Everybody has probably their de facto strength they buy on, where they're like, no, 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 I'm a really organized person, therefore this delivery concept, I'm gonna get it all nailed down, blah, 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 blah. Or you might be more of a salesperson, you're like, no, sales rhythm, like, I call the leads. Mm -hmm. I do my follow-up. I do those parts versus a demand person, which are much fewer and far between in the real estate world of somebody who believes in creating influence and content and, and really driving forward the solution to problems without capturing the value, without being on your toes. Those three things are always going to be there and you have your, your crutch that you lean on but I can tell you long-term, the most important thing you can do will always be to start with the, the demand part, with, with picking a niche and scaling it down and solving just one problem to get into the sales cycle. While there might be some things you kick off doing some prospecting just to get some early wins and just to build up some revenue, you will always see me go back once I'm safe. I'm surviving. You have and food that, on the table. Yeah, I have food on the table. And for, for new agents, that might be, I still have my old job. That's cool. If you still have a job and you're going to maintain that job, then building demand, not prospecting, not friends and family, you have the ability to slow down and focus on some fundamentally important foundations to build versus diving right in and going, crap, we're not going to eat if I don't get a deal. Therefore, I'm on my toes and being very opportunistic. So if you're transitioning in, this is a great way to back up and be like, let's strategically transition in. Not just when I quit my job based on my earnings, but when I quit my job or pull it back based on that I have a working functional engine, that it's delivering, even if, I've, even if I'm farming out some of the stuff and not making as much profit, that I have an engine for revenue. And as you're growing and expanding, I can tell you, no matter how good you are and you're like, oh, we crushed it at sales. I know if I make 100 calls, I get whatever most likely what will stall you from your progression is not going back to demand and saying, but how do I make this replicate? How do I make it do it in at mass in scale? Like, well, that's the thing in the real estate industry is ever, at least most agents know that you can get stuck on this roller coaster because you, you put in the reps, but then things start going well. And so then you start coasting and then it's like, you think that everything's good, but if you haven't built something at the top, then you're going to continually have this. So I'm sure we'll dig in on further episodes too of having either a side hustle or things like that until you have, um, or positioning yourself with another position, um, that can help you have what you need in order to build it at the top in the right way. Right. And so, so 
as we kind of sum this up, if most likely you're like head spinning a little bit, we'll, we'll put a little graphic online that you can go in the episode, um, in the episode description, there's a PDF there, go click on it and we'll show you kind of like the demand flywheel and the different parts that are on there so that you can conceptually see it. But most likely it's really hard to unpack this for everybody at different stages in the journey with different superpowers and whatever. So we have a really easy way for you to get from, okay, conceptually I downloaded the PDF I looked at, that's cool. You might go re-listen to this and hear us talk about it and use that little uh, uh, framework to look at as you listen to future episodes. But the real go-to of what everybody probably wants to know is, okay, what should I do right now? It's the first of the year, I'm setting the goal. And regardless of whether you're first of the year and New Year's resolution crap, it's more of, I need to set the next three months and I need to figure out what I'm going to do in the next month and the next two weeks we have a really easy way to get all the way down to this is what I should focus on. And it's a quiz. It's super easy. It's totally free. There's a link in the comment or down in the description section. Click on it and go take the quiz. All you've got to do is answer a handful of questions and it will guide you to who am I? Where am I at in the journey? What are my pains? What are my constraints? And what, what do I think is going to be happening going forward as well? Where should I focus? And, and that will give you the ability to then jump from there. And it will give us the ability to direct you at specific episodes to be able to say, hey, if you are a new agent who is struggling with A and you know this is your current situation, then you should be focusing on lead generation in this certain way. Go watch this episode. Follow this journey. Here's some quick tips to get going. Or if you're an existing agent and you feel like, hey, we've been really successful, um, but I feel like I'm stalling out. Like if I take my foot off the gas, it instantly pulls back. If, if that's where you're at, then, then guess what? The answer is going to be you need to build a demand engine, but in a different way, not just prospecting, but maybe networking or bringing marketing into the mix. And, and if you're actually growing a team and you're bringing agents with you, then what does that look like? Well, I can tell you once again predictable, repeatable, scalable demand, building sales rhythms that you know drive an output, that you know drive success and having a delivery system where it doesn't all fall apart once you close the deal, that it actually maintains a good experience, that the customer will refer business to you, that they're not like, yeah, we had this agent, they were the worst ever, that, that it actually does repeat back around. Each of those parts are still the fundamentals of building a successful real estate agent business, but there's just different things you need to do. So go take the quiz. We're going to point you at the right situation, at the right what your focus should be. We're going to give you some value from there and be able to give you more pointed advice and ideas based on knowing where you're at in the journey, what your superpowers are, and what you're focused on right now. So thanks so much for listening to our agent business framework or flywheel overview. I hope you walked away with this from something with something super cool. We talked a lot about spinning. Hopefully your brain isn't spinning too much, but know that we'll unpack each individual thing and make a little bit more sense of it so it's not quite so overwhelming. Right, so go take the quiz and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Broker Fusion podcast with Ryan and Sarah Montana. We hope you guys found this valuable. If you did, do a couple things for us. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel. Share it with anyone that you think would find it valuable and give us a like. Feel free to comment. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you.